0: Revelation 20, we'll read it in just a moment, and I want to uh, just, after you turn there, draw your attention to our our, our graphic that we'll put up here, uh, here of the five events that we're looking at, uh, that are upcoming events in prophecy. So if you could pull that up, Yannick, I'd appreciate it, it'd be the second one. <clears throat> so we're going to read Revelation 20 verses 1 through 10 in just a minute, and um, you know, the Bible says in 2 Peter 1, I think it was verse 19, that the Bible is called a, the word of prophecy. And it says we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Peter said that his experience of seeing and hearing Jesus, having his sensories stimulated on the Mount of Transfiguration, was glorious. But then he said, The Bible in your lap is more trustworthy than your senses. He said, We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you you do well to take heed unto, as unto a light that shines in a dark place. Sometimes our day feels dark, that is spiritually, intellectually confused and dark. But the Bible says we do well to take heed to this as unto a light that shine oh that makes sense as a light that shines in a dark place. The Bible will help make sense of this crazy world, whether it was a thousand years ago, crazy world, or today or another thousand years, the Bible will shine light and make sense of the dark world we live in. But more particular, it says it's a word of prophecy. The Bible is has prophecy in it. We would do well to take heed to the prophecy that's spoken to us in the Bible. God is telling you His planner. He's opening up His planner and telling you, you his plans okay and here's some highlights of his plans the rapture is one we preached about couldn't happen anytime that's taking up believers and snatching believers out of the world true believers not make believers and then there's a tribulation time on earth seven year tribulation during that time up in heaven ra- the the raptured christians and christians who have been already in heaven will be judged by god in the sense of a judging their service our service to him individually we'll all stand before the judgment seat of christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body whether it be good or bad and it'll be you'll either get a little bit of reward or a lot of reward but you won't be punished but you will be rewarded and acknowledged for your service to jesus christ one day every one of you at the judgment seat of christ it's an evaluation and um and then what happens there will also be reflected in what in the time that we serve him when we come back to earth. In other words, this life is a proving ground. The way, I told you this last week, the way you're living your life right now, whether you think you're getting a lot of attention or not from people, the way you're living your life, the way you handle that small job or that big job, whether you have five spiritual talents or one spiritual talent, the way you're responding to that will know, God will bear that out, I should say. And it'll be reflected in the reign of Christ. That is, you'll come and stand before Him one day, and He'll he'll see how you responded to the talents, the few or many that you served Him with right now. And He'll say, good job. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Go into my kingdom, enter into the joy of the Lord, and I'll give you this area to rule in. Or you can go farm that area, or you can be in charge of this nursery over here. I don't know, but something. Maybe some of you don't want to be a nursery worker. I don't know, but uh, it'll be a better world, that's for sure, when you, if you did, okay? Um, but anyways, what I'm saying is, this is a proving ground to, life now is a proving ground for how you, you the, what you think of your Christian life right now will be seen in, in the reign of Christ. You'll be judged, he'll, he'll assess each of us, and then we'll come back and we'll reign with Him, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Next time, Lord willing, we'll talk about the great right Throne judgment. But again, there's a rapture, there's a tribulation, there's a judgment seat for believers, and then we're going to come back and reign with Jesus Christ for 1,000 years in a distinct 1,000-year reign with Him on this earth. So we would do well to take heed. This is a light that shines in a dark place. Just this doctrine gives me some light, and it keeps me from going insane sometimes. It really does. And so let's look at, let's just read. There's several passages that talk about the millennium. There's several passages that talk about Jesus' kingdom coming. We dealt with Isaiah 11 last time. Let's look at Revelation 20 this time. This is the way John was shown it. And again, it is not telling you everything that's going to happen in a thousand years. It's giving you a glimpse of some things at the beginning and the end and a little bit the middle. Here we go. Pay attention. Revelation 20, 1 to one to ten. And they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part. In the first resurrection, on such a second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints round about And the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. We'll stop right there. That's kind of the angle that John gives us on this millennial reign of Christ. So we're going to talk about the 1,000 year presidential term. The 1,000-year presidential term. Not that Jesus isn't going to do anything important after that. Um, I was thinking the other day, I I saw a little thing of... of, uh, It was like an interview Johnny Carson had with Ronald Reagan in the mid-1970s before he was a president. And uh, I watched it, and it was maybe 10, 13 minutes. So I watched Johnny Carson interview Ronald Reagan before he was even president, at least four years before. And... um, and I thought, ah, oh, I remember that now. And I see him speaking, and he was very, I mean, he was, he was hitting everything you wanna, that we needed at the time. You know, he was, it was a good political speech. It was a good political interview. But then I remember, I thought, I remember when I was a kid. I mean, I was born in 1974, and so I have good, pretty clear memories through the whole 80s. But I remember as a kid thinking, even back then thinking man we got a really good president i mean everybody's all he's nice he's good all the americans love him and every enemy out there is afraid of us that must be a good president you know and that the way that tells you something when our enemies are rooting for one party to win the next election that tells you you know something but anyways like everybody is afraid of us i remember being in grade school we do current events and and our teacher would pull out something, you know, the President Reagan did this, or he's having this summit, or he's telling them to pull this wall down, or he's meeting with Mikhail Gorbachev. And, and I remember getting this sense in, in, when I was younger thinking, man, we got a really good president. He just got all the people that were Democrats came over and voted for him. How did he do that? You know, he had a bunch of people that kind of switched parties. He was so convincing. And he did, I think, in my opinion about politics, did our country good in the 80s. And um, I remember even thinking that, um, you know, that Russia was kind of, they would try to flex their muscles against us, and we flexed our muscles against them, and I thought, we could beat Russia. We could beat them. I saw Rocky. I mean, I saw him. That means we can, you know. And all these submarine movies of some American sub and Russian sub fighting and something. We could do it. And besides, you know, and so I kind of, there was that feel in the 80s of always, like, against the Russian thing, you know, And then come to find out, I mean, the standoff proved, you know, true. And when Russia, finally the wall comes down, you see, they were just a big facade. I mean, they're powerful now, and they're building up strength, but there was a lot of a facade behind their country at that time, and um, they're going to make a resurge, I believe. In fact, there's some scriptural evidence about that. Um, But I remember when Ronald Reagan, I mean, he showed signs of, what was it, uh, Alzheimer's or dementia or something. They wanted him to go another term. People are like, can just can you go another term? And of course, I think that's against the Constitution. So we're not going to do stuff like that. You know, sometimes people get real excited about a president, and boy, if we only had that guy back, if we only had this guy back, if he could just go and be a president a little bit longer. We're, we're getting, you know, um, where people almost get too much, too fixated on a man. But here's a, pre- how about this presidential term, thousand years? And nobody's going to be able to impeach him. <clears throat> you know, there's a, you see the effort at the end. How'd that work out? So here's Jesus reigning for a thousand years. You know, there's a, there's a scripture. Do you remember what, they, what we would call Palm Sunday? We think it was Palm Sunday, but we know what they said. He came when he came riding on the donkey and they threw the palm leaves down and it was fulfilling some scripture. Um, what did they cry out? Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. You know what, that was an Old Testament scripture they are fulfilling. Hosanna means save us now, Lord, in the highest. Save now, Lord. They all did that. Of that, that, course, that was a short-lived uh, moment for them because they were crucifying them some days later. But they said, Hosanna, save now. Well, what he did was he did come to save, the most important thing now, he died on the cross, so to save, take care of the soul. But there's going to come a day where people are going to finally say, Lord, save now, and it'll be the nation of Israel. By the end of a tribulation time, they're going to be duped for three and a half years by Antichrist, and they're going to realize he's a phony, so they're going to have to survive another three and a half and by the end of that time, they're going to finally believe, and they're going to say, save us now, Lord. I mean, the world at its worst, being persecuted, everybody, it's different people being persecuted, especially Christians, the Jews, God's going to supernaturally hide them toward the last part of the tribulation, and they're going to say, where is he? Because this guy was not it. They're going to say, save now, save now. And finally, Jesus is going to come out of the sky and the heavens break forth and he's going to behold the white horse and him that sat upon it. He's going to come out of the sky and they're going to look on him whom they have pierced and they're going to weep and wail and that yes, that is the one and we crucified him. And whoever's left of Jews at the end of the tribulation are going to get saved. So shall all Israel be saved, it says in Romans 11. That means that, that part that's left. And they're finally, here he comes and Jesus is going to come down to earth and there's going to be some time, there's going to be a showdown, there's going to be a battle of Armageddon, all the armies in the, are going to assemble and they're going to battle, they're going to, in the valley of Megiddo, which Napoleon says is the greatest battlefield that he's ever seen and they're going to, there's going to be a battle and, and we're going to come down with him on white horses and white garments on earth and we're not going to get him bloody. He's going to stain his garments in blood. The scripture says it'll be soaked in blood, like he was treading grapes. And he's going to clean the clean out the armies of the antichrist and of the devil and those who rejected him. And the blood's going to flow for 200 miles. This is outrageous. See, this is I always said stuff like this. It's at this point we should say, Do I'm going to keep believing this stuff, or should I just throw this in the garbage and go find something I can see and touch and feel? This is I believe this stuff's going to happen by faith. I really do. And so there's going to be this massive battle, and the Jews are going to believe we're going to come back with him. He's going to defeat the Antichrist and his armies, and they're going to have to, vultures are going to come in to clean up the carcasses. And for I think it's seven months, Jews, Ezekiel, I think it was, it says they're going to be picking up bones and burying them. And then finally, Jesus, there's going to be, I can't tell you everything, there's so much. There's a lot that happens in a thousand years. But here, let's just deal with the perspective that John gives. It's a blessed thing. I kind of want to think about this that the whole reign, when Jesus comes back the, and he, there's the battle and he wins and he starts his reign for a thousand years, it's really a blessed thing. And I want you to notice some of the points here. We're going to walk through, excuse me, the um, points here of this presidential term. Number one, we see there's a blessed reprieve. Look at verses one through three. a blessed reprieve uh, you know we, we we're such wimpy Americans. Every politician they start doing the commercials. Have you been are you people are suffering people are suffering now, and it's hard and and that's why you don't vote for my opponent he's a card carrying communist anyways and and he probably You know, and and they start, you know, a commercial really makes this guy look really bad. And you're telling yourself, when I get in there, it's going to be better. And then the same guy that's perhaps a Republican might say the same thing as this guy. You're suffering. (laughs) You're suffering so bad. And this guy's not going to be the answer. Do you know that his brother's second cousin's half-sister's wife's neighbor once shook hands with a communist? That's what's, you better stay away from him. Vote for me, you know. I mean, they say stuff like that. And you're like, it's so oppressive and, and it is a little bit harder right now isn't it but i still rather live here <laughs> than other places so anyways but here's a real reprieve when jesus comes he's really going to get rid of some problems the biggest problem person is satan and that's the biggest problem person in your life and my life and the second biggest probably maybe, maybe they're tied for first him and me But Satan is a huge problem person. We're going to have a reprieve. Look what it says. An angel comes down, verse 1, grabs him, has a big chain, grabs him, has a key, unlocks this place, verse 2, lays hold of the dragon, the old serpent, and the devil, and Satan and bound him a thousand years, put him in a bottomless pit, verse 3 says, cast him in the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. That's his primary job. Deceive the nations no more until the thousand years should be fulfilled. After that, he must be loosed a little season. So you, whoever this angel is comes down, he's got his chain, he's got his key, and he snags sna- Satan, it's nothing. And he takes him there's some place, somewhere, a bottomless pit, put way down there, way down there. Perhaps bottomless means he's hovering in the middle of the earth. There's no bottom. It's like theoretically gravity would be pulling you every way and you'd just be hovering in the middle of since Satan's also a spirit being. So I don't know, he's down there, and he's locked, and they put a seal on it. It's like, okay, he can come out in a thousand years. Isn't that amazing how God has control over the whole thing? He goes, now, and we'll let we'll tell you when we're going to let him out. God's the God that opens, and no man closes. And the God who closes, and no man opens. He's that kind of God, and he's got full control on Satan. And so that's a reprieve, That's a reprieve from Satan for the whole world. We'll see that. That's what Jesus will provide during His reign. And then secondly, let's go to the next point. There's a blessed reign. Now again, verse 4 is the only verse we're going to look at. And there's a lot of pictures of this. But we're just going to contain ourselves to what John says here. John says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. Now, again, during the millennial reign, there's all kinds of stuff that happens. We talked about lambs and lions laying down together and kids playing by cobras' holes and playing snakes and stuff because God's going to subdue the nature of even carnivorous beasts and get rid of their venom and all that. But the focus here is is the idea of people, is God's people are on top. God's people are reigning. Our side is going to be really win forever. It's talking about, look what it says there, verse 4. Not just a throne, the Lord has His, but thrones. And they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. My kids have been, it's pretty funny. My kids like to watch Judge Judy. My boys, my four boys, they're getting into this Judge Judy thing. They like it. And in a way, I I think that's good because I like the idea of them caring about justice. Plus, you had a little entertainment spin to it, you know. And so they've been watching. And then last night, they were playing Judge Jimmy in the room they set up a little is jimmy even in here ah he's a good one though jim's a good judge vote for him anyways they they're playing judge jimmy and jimmy i think maybe noah did it once too but he could be bribed uh, <laughs> so they had a little jimmy was sitting there and, and they had noah wait, wait who was it yeah grant was right here noah's right here and, and Jimmy's like, what's your case? Present your whatever it is. And he had a little paper. And so Grant was supposed to give his paper. Well, who was the defendant again? Was Noah the defendant? They just traded. Grant was the defendant. Okay, so Grant had a, had a case. And so charity was in there. So Grant gives, he's like, the judge says, give her the, give her the case, you know. And so Grant gives it to Charity, and she's just like, meh, nee! she wants to eat the paper. She's the little household billy goat, you know. And so, and they're like, no, bring it here, bring it here. So she finally brings it to Jimmy, and Jimmy reads the case, and, and they kind of do this little court thing, and, and they, they kind of like it. I mean, they like being in judgment, you know. And let me tell you this, there's a, in some way, somehow, In Jesus' kingdom, there'll be people, not all of us, but there'll be certain, we know the 12 apostles are going to have thrones and judgments over Israel. We know that. But there'll be other, somehow other believers, a certain number, maybe some of us in here. You didn't run a corporation, but you ran your small business well. You ran your personal finances well. You were faithful in Sunday school, and God's like, I'll make you ruler over many things. you got a throne. There's going to be thrones, and some people are going to be on them and they're going to have some judgment and it's not talking about being a mean tyrant it's saying you get to call the shots here you're an extension of Jesus back in Jerusalem thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them and then John further mentions in verse 4 some people that we've that you would have read about in the book of Revelation who seemed like victims and he's showing they're not victims He's showing these other people who seemed like victims just some verses earlier and chapters earlier. He says, I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads and in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So John says, you know, I see, the, I see him reigning. I see the people on thrones and judgments given. And remember those people, those, those poor martyrs who didn't go with the crowd, didn't go with the mark, didn't go with the beast. And they paid a price for it and it seemed like, oh, what a sad story. John says, no, I saw them. They're right here. They're alive and they're reigning with Christ right now a thousand years. We should have the attitude of it's okay if I'm the minority. Now, don't be a wrong minority or a mean minority. But if you're the minority in cultural choices, in moral choices, in spiritual choices, you feel like everybody else is against me, don't worry about that. If we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. Now, I remember... I read this book. I've been reading this book called "By My Spirit" by Jonathan Goforth, who was a Presbyterian uh, missionary, very, very effective in the Orient, in Korea, and in uh, China over hundred years ago. And he wrote this book, "By My Spirit," and he was telling a testimony <clears throat> of a guy. I think it was, in, yeah, it was in China. And he says he came to this guy when he was doing some meetings in China, and this guy, this wealthy doctor, came to Jonathan Goforth and says, "I got to tell you something." I'm really thinking that I need to become a Christian. I'm convinced of the claims of Christ. And Jonathan Goforth is speaking with this, you know, well-educated Chinese physician. And he says, okay. And he goes, well, let me tell you what happened. And so this Chinese physician, and I don't have the the script in front of me, but I'm going to tell you by memory. He says, back in 1900, 1900 even, uh, there was such and such a raid and... You know, the Chinese government was going after Christians and some missionaries and everything, and such and such province, and there's such and such governor of this province, this such and such Chinese governor, came and he rounded up 60-something missionaries. Most of them were uh, Protestant Christians and a few Catholics. He says he rounded them up, and he said he rounded them up in this court area, and they, 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 it was kind of a big, it was a spectacle, it was a public spectacle. So the governor and his men rounded up these Christian missionaries that they wanted to put down, and he says, I was there, and they were going to execute him. And he said, um, the governor, when he got everybody there, it kind of was silent, excuse me, and he said there was this little girl, 12-year-old blonde-haired girl, all of a sudden just spoke up, walked right up to the governor, and said, why are you doing this to us? Is it because we came here from across the seas and brought our doctors and healed your people? Is that the evil that you're rewarding us with? Is that, have we done evil by doing that? Is it because we've preached Jesus to you and some of your young men who are hooked on opium and becoming sots and disrespectful to their parents and can't hold a job, is it because of that? They've pre- we've preached Jesus to them and now they're reformed and they respect their parents and they hold their job? Is that why? She wasn't crying, she was making a very Very intelligent appealed to him. And the doctor says, I saw that little girl speak right out loud, her only voice known, only voice heard in that day, right to that governor. And all of a sudden, it almost looked like the governor was off the throne, that she was at the judgment seat and the governor was down there because he bowed his head. And he was coming under conviction. Just with those few moments, he said, but without the governor saying anything, one of his men went up to that girl, took her head, and one swap shot her head right off. And right after that, all of them died. All 60-something of those, China, of those Christian missionaries in China died. It was a big slaughter. But he said, that physician said, I saw that that day, and I never got over that. Because he also said, when they were dying, I was watching them die one by one, and I watched how they died. A little boy holding his mom. Mom calmly goes to her death. Little boy stands there a little more poised, and he calmly goes to his death. He goes, it was interesting seeing people die this way, calm, confident. <laughs> he says there was no panic. There was no, not that this might not happen with Christians, but he says there was no panic. There was just a, there's this assurance like it was almost like we're going to something better. And so then he told Jonathan Goforth, I I, I I believe these claims of Christ. And Jonathan Goforth didn't say that he then at that moment prayed to accept Christ, but he's saying this guy was near the kingdom of God because of the way he saw these people who seem to be victims die like they weren't. They weren't dying like they were victims. They were dying like, well, going on to something better. And by the way, that governor didn't say he became a Christian, but Jonathan Goforth says his son later became a Christian. Here's, here's what I'm saying is in the future, Jesus is going to come back. There'll be a reprieve from Satan. He's going to be put into a long time timeout. And then people are going to reign. It'll be certain believers who've been faithful in this life reigning and will reign with them in maybe a sub in different types of position and then he says and those martyrs they're going to be here too as it says they didn't go long; they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years and now we see the blessed reign but thirdly we see the blessed resurrection this whole thing is called the first resurrection look what it says in verse We'll go to point three, Yannick, verse five and six. The rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. We'll stop right there. What is John saying? He's saying, "I uh, I saw Jesus. He came back, chapter 19. He defeated the armies of the Antichrist. He put Satan in prison. People are reigning with Christ a thousand years. And then he says, Everybody else who died, that is, the, in the tribulation, they didn't live again for another thousand years. That is, in their body. Right? But all these people living, it's called the first resurrection, and that's a blessed thing. Jesus, Since Jesus rose from the dead all the way through this time, you read in the Bible, it's called the first resurrection. There's several stages of it. Anybody who believes on Jesus Christ as their Savior will die... But eventually, your body will get to come up out of the grave. You're part of the first resurrection. Um, there's the first resurrection. Jesus is the first fruits. It's called first, first Corinthians 15. That is, when you sowed a field of wheat, there's always an early crop that just popped right up. And then maybe another week or two later, the whole thing goes pow. Jesus is called the first fruits. When he came 2,000 years ago, he was crucified, buried, and rose from the dead. He rose, by the way, on the Jewish day of first fruits. That's first Sunday after the Passover. And he rose up then. Symbolic. And by the way, the, the, in that day, if they were faithful in the temple, they would have been bringing bread to, the, to that temple, breaking it open, it came coming from the field, from the first fruits. So Jesus fulfilled that, and then it's a symbol of what's yet to come. If Jesus rose from the dead, and if I believe on Jesus, then I get to be part of that later harvest. I'm going to rise from the dead, too. So that's called first resurrection. You'll rise from the dead in the rapture. When we're all caught up, the body will rise from the dead. Our soul will safely be with Him until then, before then, I should say. But we'll rise from the dead, and then in the tribulation, there'll be some people right at the end of the tribulation, these martyrs that that are resurrected. Notice so you get if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your savior you're part of the first stage that first resurrection. And notice what it says about that, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such a second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Do you realize you've heard this saying, but I'm going to say it cuz some of you might be new. If you uh, are saved, then you'll, uh, then you'll, it, as I, we say there's two births and one death. If you're a Christian, that means you have two births and only one death. You have your physical birth, came out of your mother's room, born of water. And then the second birth would be spiritually, when you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. That's called being born again. And then if you've had two births, then you can only have one death. My body will die. We must, we must needs die. My body will die. My soul will be with Him. And then we'll, on the rapture day, they come back together. One death, not a second. But if you've only had a physical birth, that is you were only born from your mother's womb and you never really truly accepted Jesus as your Savior, then one day you'll die. Your body will die. And your soul will go to hell. And then thousand, after this thousand-year reign, your body's going to come back up. And we'll look at this next time. And it'll appear before God, in a reconstituted body. It didn't matter if you were cremated. And you'll be judged before God. And then you'll die again. That's called the second death. One birth, two deaths. If you want to have two deaths, then just count on your mom's birth. But if you want to say, oh, mom's birth's not enough. I need to be born. I was born in a Catholic family. I was born in about, That doesn't matter. You need to be born in God's family by believing on Jesus Christ as your Savior and repenting, saying, God, I am a pathetic sinner. There's nothing I can do about it. Jesus, save my soul. Once you trust Jesus as your Savior, bing, you got the second death, the second birth, so you won't have the second death. And then when you die, it's just one death. Look what it says. This is what it's describing. Verse 6, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on set, Second death hath no power. Isn't this an amazing thing? i got to die once. I can't die a second time. When you and I are living in this, in this age of this, this millennium and you have a new glorious body and you're serving God here or there or whatever. And by the way, there'll be other people who are physically populating the earth. We talked about that. They've come to the tribulation. But we're we are in incorruptible bodies. And while we're in incorruptible bodies with the Lord in the millennium, going about this earth... You can't die. You can't die. We're inoculated from the second death. You can't go to hell. But you will go to hell if you've never been born again. The second death has power on you right now if you've never been born again. So there's that resurrection, a blessed when Jesus comes back, there's a we're experiencing a blessed resurrection. I can't die. You know sometimes even driving out today you're like man I I could die in a car accident I mean I don't know a month's I don't know where it was where, where were we a month ago we were driving through the intersection somewhere in Gilbert here and I'm driving have my family and all of a sudden I see this car running a red light and I just like scoot up a little bit more and came right behind me and I almost got nailed on that side it would have been on the T-bone there on the van but, well, I could have died no again I would go to heaven But I can't die again. Isn't that good? When you're saved, you can't die again. God will give you a new body. It's incorruptible like His. So we're talking about the reign of Jesus. He's going to come back. We're going to reign with Him. It's called the blessed resurrection. And then there's a blessed removal. Not only is Satan, we have a reprieve from Satan in the lake, or the bottomless pit, but he's actually going to be eventually totally removed altogether. Let's look at these verses here. Before Satan's removed, we see, first of all, that he's released. Look at verse 7. There's a blessed removal, but first he's going to get unleashed out of this prison, but for a little season. Verse 7, when the thousand years are expired, so Jesus fulfilled that term, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to entertain and shall go out to um, no, enjoy. No, his purpose is to go out, verse 8, and to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So I've told you this before, the silly the silly Pixar or whatever it is, movie of the Kung Fu Panda. How many of us have seen Kung Fu Panda? Come on, raise your hand, don't be afraid. I watch it, it's funny. You guys are funny. And so the, the one of the Kung Fu Pandas were the bad leopard looking guy he was like the prototype of the mustache guy what's his name Sifu, master seafood i don't know what that guy's name is dustin hoffman voice and so he like this cat he trains come and then he goes bad goes evil and he causes chaos and problems and so they put him away put him down in this pit way 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 down there chained and chained and blocked in and locked in and tr- 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 he's way down there. You know, and he's, he's stuck down there and then this chubby panda, you know, comes on the, he's part of the story and likes to eat all this Chinese food and adopted dad and all this weird stuff. Well, they ended up letting, you know, somehow this, this um, cat <laughs> gets out of the bottomless pit and wreaks havoc again, tries to go up against this unlikely kung fu warrior, but he loses. And it's like, that is the silliest example of the millennium, but it's an example of the millennium. It really is. It is so silly, that. but but this is, of course, so much more important. Satan will be put down in the pit for a long term. And then when he comes out, he thinks, I'm going to handle this. He's not going to handle Jesus. Jesus is going to handle him. In fact, this fire is going to come right out of heaven. And he'll be put away forever. All right, so the Bible says, we're talking about this, he's released out, verse 8. What does he do? So Satan gets out, and he. it's only a little season. The Bible says in verse 3, it's only a little season that he's doing this. But look what he's doing in verse 8. He's going out to deceive the nations. Now listen, Satan can't deceive even us as Christians. He certainly can deceive the lost. But notice it's not even stated that way. Satan can deceive whole nations in a short season. In a perfect earth. Sometimes we think, well, if I had everything, if I had this groomed right in this neighborhood and this economy perfect and no animals causing me problems and no people causing me problems and just a better society, then everything would be okay. Well, guess what? The animals aren't causing problems. There's a perfect economy. Everybody's getting along. We're perfect. We're perfect leaders. We're in perfect bodies. Everything perfectly, but there's a whole population growing for a thousand years of people who have a chance to believe or not believe on Jesus. And the ones who don't believe keep it secret and have outward conformity. And there's a huge population. And once Satan just comes on the scene, he can quickly round them all up. And he, this is going to happen. He's going to round up nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog. It's a symbolic statement of those who come against Israel in that case. And quickly deceives them. Satan can quickly deceive people and deceive a lot of people. That's why we should say, just because everybody's doing it, just because everybody thinks it, doesn't mean it's right. Test everything with the Bible. Even if a whole nation thinks or believes a certain way, this nation even, test everything with the Bible. Satan deceives these all these nations, this, this type of nations, Gog and Magog, four quarters of the earth, gathers them together, and it's not a small army. The number of whom is at the sea, you can't stop counting, you might as well. Who wants to count sand? Like, ah, that's a lot. That's what it's saying. A whole bunch of people that come into the camp of the saints. As they're coming to Jerusalem, somehow we're there with Jesus. And they, they all get camped out. And they're all coming. And Satan's about to get removed. And they're all, I don't know what's happening, but they're all lined up. And it's so blunt right here. It's almost like maybe some of the generals or even general Satan saying, all right, now everybody. Just didn't even get his command out. Okay, now company, halt, now turn. It just says fire came down out of heaven. Can I see their formation? Well, what would, it doesn't say. What did he say? We don't know what he said. Verse 9, it says they camped about and just fire goes out of heaven. From God, out of heaven and devoured them. But I love this. I love it in a good sense, but it's also fearful. Verse 10, the devil that deceived them was cast. This is his last fate. Into the lake of fire and brimstone, lake, where the beast and the false prophet are. Those are human beings who got put there 1,000 years before, and they're still there. And shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Those are two men who sold themselves out to Satan, and they're there, and Satan goes to join them, his two disciples there. Wow, and Jesus, that's it's done right there. The last, almost the last enemy. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That happens later. They're gone. Jesus puts a, what's happening? We're, we're, the, the picture John gives us, Jesus uh, reprieves the world for a thousand years. We have a pleasant living scenario that we will experience. We reign with Him. It's called the second resurrection. We can't die, or the first resurrection. We can't die. We're blessed to be a part of that. And then finally, he, Satan's released. He rebels, but he's permanently removed forever. So, I just want to say a couple things here. God wants, Jesus says, these things right here are to be testified in the churches. So, this whole future history, He wants us to have it in view, have it in mind. And so, I want to say a couple things, just a few takeaways, and then we'll be done. Is this? This tells me that I need to make sure I'm converted. Because again, I want to tell you something. In this whole picture of this thousand-year of Christ, there'll be a lot of people who come from the tribulation into this new world, and they will multiply and have families. There'll be family life. We're not having families. We're in a different body. And they're multiplying, and people are obeying Jesus. But somehow towards the end, there's still people that are not saved, even though Jesus is right in front of them. By the way, don't say, well, if I saw Jesus, I would believe. Unless you believe Moses and the prophets, you won't believe. Even if one rose from the dead. So they they have, there's people that are lost at the end of this perfect administration, people who still don't believe on him. And they're conforming, though. They're going along with the society. So I want to say to us today, sometimes you're like, I'm going, along with, cool. I'm going along with this church. I'm going along with Christianity. Conformity is not enough. You have to really be converted from the heart out to Jesus. Otherwise, you will find yourself swept up by Satan in, in a lake of fire one day. We must be born again. So this shows us the importance of being converted, not just conforming to the, to the religious uh, protocol. It's teaching us two more things, we'll say. To be cognizant. It's teaching us to be cognizant. Cognizant of what? Cognizant of Satan. Not that we try to find Satan in every little thing, but just remember, you know, he loves to cause deception for you and I. He wants to deceive you and I. He wants to make me to believe lies and you to believe lies. He wants to deceive whole nations. He wants to get our nation to keep following these crazy so-called woke trends. People need to get woke to God. Awake to righteousness, the Bible says. Not awake the, to unrighteousness. woke to ungodly. We need to be woke to God. Wake up to God! And so Paul talked about that woke. But anyways, people are following, and Satan wants to deceive us with this stuff. And he does forget about all the culture stuff. He just wants to lie to me. He wants to make me, you and I think, we can keep on... We can keep on hiding sin. We can keep a, an illicit relationship or something. Or you can steal. And yeah, he wants to make you think you can keep doing that. He started out with a small group. It was Eve. And he can work with a small group, still with us. So we got we gotta be cognizant. Be whole sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking who may, may devour. And then last of all. I like, again, I don't know about you, this helps me keep from going insane. We need, it, helps, it helps me to be confident. When I see this, and we've to go back to that, go back to that first, the graphic that we have, Yannick. When I see this thing and I see what God's plans are, I'm like, ah, oh, All right, we're good, man. i just get to, this might not be easy in this life, but mm, I see where it's going. I see where it's going. We're going to reign with Him. This will be good. This will be good. And in the meantime, I want to, between now, between this day and, and these days, especially this one, I want to see people one over to the Savior that I believe and trust in Him, and, and I want to be faithful, with like what I, like what I said, with the, the things I put my hand to, whether in my case I'm a pastor of a little church or a big church, I want to be faithful with what I have in hand because I want to please Jesus with it, and He's going to acknowledge it and reward me one day. Same with you. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor right now in this life. It doesn't matter. what, hast thou, what, what do you have in your hand? Remember he said that to Moses? Moses is like, "Oh, Lord, he's all stuttering. Bleh, 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 bleh. I, can't, I, can't, I can't believe these people out of, out of Israel or out of Egypt. I can't do that.. I, I can't speak well. And uh, God we had a fuss together, but God said, "Well, what do you got in your hand?" Ah, oh, rod." He goes, oh, we can work with that. Throw it down. Whoa, look at that. Become a snake. I guess what I'm saying is sometimes I just got to work with God's, what God's put in my hand and let him use that. Amen. The reign of Christ, I hope it helps you. Yeah. It helps me. Let's pray together.